What's up, Fight Fan? You're listening to MMA Daily, the podcast where we bring you the latest in the world of mixed martial arts. It is Monday, September 12th, 2022, and this week's episode, The Wild Week of UFC 279, we'll be talking about The Wild Week of UFC 279, and of course what comes next for the Knights winners, the Knights losers, and really just about everything else. We'll talk a little bit of MMA news, a big fight set for one of the UK's biggest stars in the middleweight division, and we'll cap it off by previewing this Saturday's UFC main event, UFC Vegas 60, headlined by the Bantamweight clash between Corey Sanhagen and Song Yadong. My name is Gabriel Gonzalez, and I'm here with my co-host, Natalie Zamudio. Hello, Double G. How are you, man? You've had a busy... uh... Last five five or so days, right? Probably longer. When I tell you I'm ready for a day off, let me just let me just tell you. I'm ready you for a day it. off. You deserve it. <laughs> uh, it's been good, though. It's kind of like, okay, you know, we doesn't everyone, when it gets a little repetitive, you know, we're same thing, ask questions, get answers, ask more questions, put it on YouTube. Anything that breaks up the monotony, it's like, oh, okay. So it, it always helps in that way. You know what I mean? It keeps you, it keeps the job feeling fresh. I'll tell you that. What about yeah. you? What was I'll it like what, to be at know. home and just not have to stress about it? Well, there's, you know, different, different stresses here at home, but uh, I, I definitely am not quick on my feet the way you and some of the other MMA media are you guys you know look do some questions get repeated yes but for the most part you're always asking very unique questions and so your brain's got to be going you know 100 miles per per second as other people are asking questions that you maybe were going to ask and now you're like okay what do I ask next next and whatnot Um, so I'm impressed with with how you can do that and how some of the other folks can do that uh, I'm not trying to jump ahead, but real quick, that scrum that Dana White had after it all went down, like people were really getting some good questions in there, including yourself with the uh, it's not Tuesday night, you know, question. So <laughs> in any case, I know you guys are uh, are busting your butts out there. Now, here at home, uh, it's a different kind of stress, but I don't have to worry about coming up with cool questions like that. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, you know, look, I think um, for one, it was a free for all. You know, there's no... John Morgan first question, everyone just kind of decided, you know what, um, have you ever seen like a basketball practice like at a middle school or high school and you remember it's like everyone's supposed to be organized but then imagine all these kids just start shooting the ball at the same time. Oh yeah. That's what that felt like. It's like, oh, we're just, everyone just started throwing and you know, poor Dana White, he probably felt like, you know, he was walking through the hood, just that head on a swivel everywhere, you know. Just trying to get to all of us. But yeah, it was quite the week. Um, We will break down, you know, what it was like to experience it in real time and now what to do with the aftermath. But at the end of the day, Nate Diaz fought Tony Ferguson. And Natalie, uh, I'm not going to give you this great uh, breakdown of the technicality. I think quite simply, good first round. Obviously, both men are fresh. But I think the longer time to train really was evident. And stylistically, Nate is a handful in particular for a guy like Tony because of his height and range. And yes, he's a very technical boxer, but also his speed. He's not a slow guy out there. He's not plodding and kind of moving like a refrigerator trying to land on you. And really, you just saw that take over on Tony. 
there's a lot of factors. Uh, Tony was training for a southpaw. Uh, the 24-hour notice. The whole drama, stylistically so different from Li Jing Liang. Um, so really, the fact that Nate, uh, t- you know, kind of really just started taking off after about round two really didn't surprise me. Um, one thing I will say, and I'm, you may have a different reaction, but the antics going on, uh, the first time for a second, all right, I get it. It's Nate Diaz giving you the full Nate Diaz. But at a certain point, I also thought like, okay, you know, I always put myself in the seat of the paying customer. And maybe if you were just diehard, I just want to watch Nate, whatever Nate does, even if it's silly, and I use that word very just bluntly, if it was silly, I'm down for it. But I think to myself, okay, we just been through all this. This is not what we were sold for the last month and a half, two months. Um, a lot of these fights now at the top felt mismatched, right? And now for my money at, to close the show, I got Nate Diaz just walking off in the third round. I thought he was trying to get himself disqualified just as a final middle finger to the UFC after everything. But okay. And then he starts doing the rest against the cage. He sticks his butt out like, well, come on. Are you going to try to kick my butt? And it's like, I just was like, Nate, if we're going to do this, just take him out of there and prove you're all that in a bag of chips. He did. Tony goes for the takedown. He gets choked out. And we we all go home smelling like a bit of weed because it's Nate Diaz. What were your thoughts? Uh, Yeah, I'm with you on that. The the Nate Diaz antics went a little too far. At a certain point, I was starting to get confused. Yes, I'm I'm exactly with you on that moment when he started walking um, just across the octagon. I really did think, too. I was like, oh, my God, he's just he's done. He's going to climb out of the cage. And that's all she wrote. Uh, Tony Ferguson, you know, gave back a little bit doing a Nick Diaz on the in the center of the octagon there. But that was um, gold. That was great. Yeah. (laughs) But he got up real quick when Nate Diaz started moving back towards him. Um. Some of the moves in isolation were hilarious. The, you know, hanging the arms on the top of the cage and like the donkey kick (laughs) was really funny. Um, But as they were strung together, I was kind of like, okay, uh, you're, you're just going through, like now you're becoming a caricature of Nate Diaz. And so are you doing that just because you're frustrated you, because you wanted to put on a show or because, you know, like you said, middle finger to the UFC. So in any case, you know, he moved on from it and, and got the finish. Uh, you feel for Tony Ferguson because his corner kept telling him, hey, don't force it. But when you get a chance, uh, go for a takedown. Well, <laughs> he might have lasted five rounds without that advice. But, um, you know, if you if you look at how should the fight have ended, how did everyone want the fight to end? You want Nate Diaz and his last fight of, of this term at the UFC. You want him to win. So it, it worked out the way we all wanted to, even though nobody on that night wanted to see Tony Ferguson lose too. Um, but in any case, the moment on the mic, which is what we, we had been talking about, you know, what's he, what tone will he strike? It was very respectful. Um, I was actually surprised by that, but I get it. He doesn't want to burn any bridges, smart business move. And put the focus on the future instead of griping about the past. So he played it right. And um, the post-fight interviews 
with Megan O'Leary and at the scrum, you know, with everybody, they were very entertaining between Nate and Tony. Um, so, you know, I feel like when you string it all together with the drama and, you know, concluding with those press conferences, it was an entertaining experience, you know, as a whole, UFC 279. Did I need all that nonsense that happened on the front end with the card changes and everything? Heck no. Uh, but but overall, I think Nate, Tony, um, you know, Lee, everybody except, you know, Hamzat did what they had to do to... to to get the keep the show going, um, and and I'll toss it back to you. And I apologize. I know I sound super congested. I just allergies are kicking in right now. Oh my friend, it is the end of summer. I believe <laughs> not. It's technically fall. So somehow, how did that happen once again? But it did. Um, yeah. So where do we go from here? First off, Tony Ferguson. I'll I'll say this. He's still out there in the Conor McGregor sweepstakes. To me, I think that that's still possible. I think. Full camp. Give the man a full camp. Uh, let's... I get it. Fifth loss in a row wasn't good. Let's not act like he did not also step up to save the day. Because essentially, after all the changes and all the drama and the way this was going, the UFC essentially got a, a very clear co-main event. Because, I'll say it very bluntly, Tony versus Lee... Oh, well, Tony, oh, man, you know, it doesn't look good for Tony. It was, he was more there because it's like, ah, oh, I like Tony, but it wasn't that, oh, man, what's Tony Ferguson going to bring out there today? I think even Tony fans were like, oh, man, like, I love you, Tony, but ah, you really got to pull this one out, man. You know what I mean? And essentially, the UFC got to sell a doubleheader with yeah. Hamzat being Hamzat and Nate and Tony spoke for itself at the end, right? Um, so I think Tony and the Conor McGregor sweepstakes, Nate Diaz will probably wait to see if Jake Paul defeats Anderson Silva. And even if Jake Paul loses to Anderson Silva, um, I believe that fight sells itself. I think that that's plenty of, uh, plenty of enough heat with the, the star power of Jake the star power of Nate, also the way Nate looks coming out of this one. And then, um, not for nothing, Jake Paul has an out. Uh, remember that uh, he's uh, done very well against undersized competition. If he loses to Anderson, well, Anderson's actually like 30 plus pounds heavier than most of Jake's opponents tend to be, right? Okay. So now, oh, well, Nate Diaz is, quote, more Jake's size. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. But I digress. You get what I'm saying? I get what you're saying. Um, Nate will probably get paid doing other stuff before such a fight happens. But there we are. Um, by the way, not for nothing, if you were in the media room for the first time, and I don't think some people said, is this just because of Nate? And I'm like, I want to, look, is it possible that they made sure those were up in particular because they knew this man could be here? Maybe. But I also like to think it's the whole vaping epidemic that it's like, I swear, you see those people everywhere. Just they don't even wait to go outside sometimes like your regular smokers. It's like anyway, but the fact is there's a big over the room, it, you know, multiple no smoking, no vaping. 
And Nate Diaz comes right in and takes a big yeah. puff of that joint, and he's right there on the dais with it in his hand. By the way, go watch the replay, ladies and gentlemen. He, like, literally just puts his joint down, and he just looks at a guy and looks back at the reporter. Like, that's the signal, one of, one of my crew, come take this joint literally from my fingers. I know, and then someone came and got it. It was it's amazing. Like, Okay, I, uh, okay, I'm gonna take a quick aside. I watch yeah, Family Feud, Celebrity Family Feud. They had Kanye yeah. West at the time, married to Kardashian, and you know Kanye's cousin was on his his team, right, with his family. And Steve Harvey asked him, "You're Kanye's cousin, yeah? What's your job?" And the guy says, "To do whatever Kanye tells me to do," <laughs> which is okay. I get it. He's you know, his salary, his wage, his job, his source of income is if Kanye says, look, I can't go to Walmart, but I need you to go pick up a 12 pack of Coca-Cola. That's his job, you know? So I feel like Nate, Nate has people in his crew that it's like, your job is to do the stuff that I can't just walk in and do because I'm Nate Diaz. And <laughs> I just got to say, to see that in real time was a little trippy. I'll just say it like that. Yep. Um, Hamza, uh, we're going to talk about the weight after. Hamza versus Kevin Holland. I will say this. That was one of the more exciting. Like, it was one-sided and it was fast, but it was about as exciting as a fast one-sided fight can be, if that makes sense. And what I, and I know I'm very soured by the way, probably how we got there. But just to watch Hamzad essentially say, I, I am the wolf from those Twilight movies and I'm about to chew on Robert Pattinson's head. You know, <laughs> that's what that felt like. He just went at him and it was, it was quite entertaining to see a guy just literally go pedal to the metal like Hamzad did, um, especially with everything he had on the line. So can't say much more about that. We knew he was going to outgrapple Kevin if it got there. That's essentially the only thing they did. Hamzat absorbs zero strikes because Kevin is defending everything from the get-go. Um, the whole touching of the hands was a dirty, yes, but the ref yeah. also tells you defend yourself, protect yourself at all times, right? You knew they weren't friends after the press conference thing, so I'm like, eh. I mean, you're lucky you touched gloves when the ref called you over, so... I don't know. Yeah. I I kind of felt like you shouldn't have been surprised that there was going to be no love loss when they said go, but here we are. Um, Hamza, does he still get a title shot no matter what? He could sit on the sidelines for like 12 months waiting for Usman and Leon. Does he still get it straight up or does he need another one now? He needs another one. And props to Joe Rogan for who's not usually, you know, trying to corner anybody with some hard-hitting questions in that post-fight interview but I, I was pleased that he pressed the issue and it's like you can't you know smirk your way out of this like he was doing on the scale which drove me bananas and I'm sure a lot of people did too um, but it's like hey you really want to win this belt you have to how are you going to prove that you can make the weight so I, I wouldn't if I was the UFC like this was his moment to show everyone that he's that he's worthy and he completely bombed it and then didn't even offer an ounce of 
of remorse. His coach did on the MMA hour, but he didn't. And I don't care if the coach feels sorry. I want to know if you do. But I don't know if it's ego or hubris. I don't know what it is that's preventing him from just saying, you know what, I messed up. Uh, but no, he doesn't deserve it. He should fight somebody else. Um, and back to back to the Kevin Holland fight. Yeah, you're right. It was very entertaining, even though it was basically one-sided. Like when you think about McGregor beating Aldo in two seconds or Masvidal, Askren, that's also completely exciting. But there was a different level of drama to watching Kamzat just ragdoll Kevin Holland. And it was like watching... You know, when you watch a nature documentary, you know, like the lion. <laughs> when the wolf attacks the bunny in the snow in the mountains. Exactly. It's just like, oh, okay. <laughs> that guy didn't have a chance. And so, you know, I felt for Kevin Holland because of all the drama in the background. And you want to at least make a showing of yourself. And you can't. It's got to suck. But it is what it is. Like, you had no time to prepare. And that, if you're going to put in a camp where you prepare for someone a thousand percent it's it's Kamzat and you know Nate reveals at the end of his fight the whole camp was wrestling and he didn't get to use any of that um so Kevin Holland did the UFC a solid they all did everybody did and it's shocking to me that all these fighters had to get completely rearranged and Kamzat's the only one that walked out of there without taking <laughs> taking a punch and it was all his fault <laughs> So you know what? I didn't even think of that. That is very true. That's the universe can be cruel, right? Um, uh, Colby Covington for Hamzat. I like that. I like that a lot. Who, uh, it's kind of like it. who else could it be? I mean, I low key. I like what Bilal. I feel like Bilal Muhammad would bring a really interesting approach to. Uh, uh, a Hamzat fight just because he's also stocky. He's kind of built like Habib and he kind of tries to implement similar things. You know, he's not the most fluid striker, but he's just kind of gritty, gets in there and he could grapple too. Um, but yeah, it just kind of feels like Colby's the guy unless they kind of don't want to burn Colby because he's just, you know, he's one of the top contenders. Like, you don't want to completely turn over the division, if that makes sense. You want to possibly keep him in play for a title fight, right? Just to sell it. But yeah, it's got to be Colby, the Bilal, Muhammad, Sean Brady winner. I bring up Bilal because he literally showed up with a shirt promoting the fight the, from Needing Art. The tremendous artwork on Twitter. And he had a t-shirt screen printed with the fake poster of him and Hamza. Oh, okay. Anyway, but... um. It was great marketing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah um, like I said, we'll get into the weight stuff in a bit. But I, I do agree with you on the the attitude, the outlook. I don't know if it was just, you know what? It wasn't my call. The doctor told me I'm not going to keep feeling guilty when it wasn't my decision. Why should I feel bad? But it did kind of feel at a certain point he was just leaning into it, right? And you used great word, whether it was just Habris or, you know, just a lack of that, you know, empathy for the way everything played out. But yeah, it, it did feel it. And I did understand why the fans kind of flipped it. Suddenly they stopped saying, I want to see you smash everybody to now we want to see someone smash you. Yeah, chanting USA. 
it was quite the it, it was quite the flip and i understand why people and we could talk about this it felt very wwe you literally saw a guy go from the hero to the villain within 24 hours right um yeah. with no drama and it still didn't affect the pay-per-view so was, I, I get it on that note going forward um let's talk real quick uh oh kevin holland just i use it to segue I will say outside of outside of the leech, he was the second biggest loser for the simple fact that normally I would say you step up, you should still get the Daniel Rodriguez fight. I kind of feel like he's now out of those soup steaks. I almost feel like now he's the guy to be matched up with the leech. And I know that sounds weird, but obviously leans into the third one. Uh, Daniel Rodriguez, look, it wasn't a runaway, but it was, it kind of felt very lather, rinse, repeat, right? I think they just kind of went out there to kind of, it felt like sparring. And I think both of them admitted it. They didn't really go in with the game plan. They were just going to have to be like, okay, well, we're going to strike a bit. We might grapple a bit. Let's just bring it. And for what it's worth, I do feel like they were actually had a, as a scrap, decent scrap, but you just knew that this is not this is not the ceiling for the leech. This is not the ceiling for Daniel Rodriguez when you've seen them full camp and what they can bring. So I will say Kevin Holland, I normally say he gets Daniel Rodriguez, but now I almost feel like the wins and losses, you kind of need them now to generate the heat themselves if you want the fight. Otherwise, they're just going to go in different directions. What about you? Yeah, I mean, it was it was basically a sparring session. And, you know, it could have gone either way. It could have been like they could have just gone berserker with each other. But they've already had so many setbacks just in the few days leading up to the fight. So there's a little bit of caution. And since you don't know your opponent at all, you're basically in the cage in full reaction mode. You know, you're just relying on your basic fighting instincts that you've trained over time. Excuse me. And so it's like, okay, uh, you know, you're just keeping it pretty simple, trying to read the opponent, and there's there's no history, there's nothing in the in the bank there to to you know to to rely on. So it wasn't the most exciting fight, but like, what what more could you have asked for? Um, I kind of felt that way about Nate Diaz and Tony Ferguson. Like they were both kind of just doing their typical self, uh, perform fighting their typical self because they just, you know, didn't prepare for each other. And you, you didn't even have time to watch, you know, a couple of YouTube videos the night before, you know. So, you know, it was still really awesome of all these for all these fighters to agree to fight. But man, it's a uh, you know, they all put on a tough face. But inside, they almost had just been like, what the heck? Like, this is so unfair. But you can't say that, right? Because then you look weak. But it really was truly, truly unfair <laughs> for everybody. I mean, we're about to discuss that. Um, Irene Aldana, Messi Chesson. First off, I think the kind of fight she needed comes back from some adversity. Um... Uh, at first, I okay, I'm not going to lie. That was another kind of blink and you'll miss it. For a second, I almost thought, did did, uh, did, did, did Aldana, I was tripping over my words, did Aldana just hit uh, Chesson in her lower Chesson? And, you know, 
it's very unusual <laughs> we get that kind of deal, right? I thought the but, same thing. But then on the replay, you see heel to the liver. Oof. Once again, you don't see that every day either. So very impressed. Um, She should be next for the title fight just by process of elimination. I'm not really excited to see Pena number three. And even though Ketlin Vieira looks... Look, she's sitting pretty. She's beat two former champions back-to-back in Holly, Holm, and Misha Tate. But that first-round knockout for Ketlin, over Ketlin by Irene, coupled with the way she took out Yana Kunitskaya, th- that should be enough to really lock it in. I know she'd lost the decision to Holly Holm. It is what it is. Um, the fight for Ketlin, that was a controversial one. That one was also very close, right? So I feel like it should be Irene. She struggled to get back in the cage. She had a big fight last year with uh, Jermaine Durandamy that fell through. I want to say, uh, I don't know if it was her or someone else got hurt earlier this year and that what kept that's what kept her out of the cage so far this year. But she's got it locked in, in my opinion. What about you? I think so. You know, it's the 135 division is kind of like you don't have to do a whole lot to get a title shot, but Irene Aldana actually has done a good amount of things to deserve it. So it's the MMA math makes sense here. Um, the reason I hesitate is because for as great as she is, I don't know if she's good enough yet to have a meaningful fight with Nunez, especially with how Nunez looked against Juliana Pena in the second fight. Um, I'm a huge Irene Aldana fan, so I just want to see her, you know, put her best foot forward when that opportunity arrives. Um, but as for that win, you got me cracking up there with the, <laughs> the lower chase. Um, that was crazy, dude. I really thought that she, yeah, got hit. Uh, it was a low blow or some kind of catastrophic, you know, foul, other other type of foul. Because she, like, crumpled over, like, like she, it's like the end of a of a murder scene in a horror movie where the person's just like crawling away and they have like no use of their body at all to help themselves. And it very slow-mo dramatic. Yes. And Irene Aldana didn't, it seemed like she didn't know what happened either because she was just standing there. She didn't go for the kill. And it didn't seem like she was even super thrilled at the end. I think she was, I swear to God, it seemed like she didn't even realize she won the fight until Bruce Buffer announced that she won. And I didn't get a sense of that in the post-fight press conference. I don't think she was directly asked that, but it was a very strange uh, finish. Uh, I should say the emotions were strange, but the finish was awesome. Uh, and to be the one to the first one to do an up kick TKO, like you're probably to the gonna liver. Ride, to the liver, like you're probably going to be, you know, that's a body shot up, up kick body shot TKO. I don't think anyone's going to be doing that anytime soon. So that's a really cool victory. Um, I've heard you know yeah go ahead ahead. no no you go ahead I was just gonna say did you ever get a sense of why she wasn't jumping in the cage or celebrating I'll be honest um I I remember I commented this and some jerk said something that (laughs) it, it made me frustrated that I felt they might be right when they when they say hide uh okay Laura Senko does those submission demos on her IG and I was like, dude, uh, I like when they actually explore some of the more, you know, off the beaten path submissions, right? And I wrote, you know, I like seeing the high degree of difficulty stuff. I think that that's more interesting than, oh, so-and-so's quote-unquote armbar, right? 
And then I re- some jerk commented, high degree of difficulty is just code for low percentage. <laughs> and I was like, low percentage, low finishing rate percentage on this move. And I was like, oh, it pissed me off that I was like, I think that's correct. <laughs> I think that Irene, though she said she's practiced it, I think she was like, I didn't actually think that I'd hit the liver. Yep. She maybe just thought she'd really kind of crack the body good, but wasn't going to stop Macy. So when it happened, I think there was a little bit of disbelief. It's like, I, think so. I didn't think that actually hit the spot like I was trying. I got lucky. And hey, sometimes it's like that, right? Just take it. And that 50 grand too. <laughs> to ask anyone, is it okay sometimes to be lucky rather than good? Heck yes. Oh, yeah. She worked hard. If if the numbers kind of fall your way every now and then, what's wrong with that? Uh, Chris Barnett. Oh, man. That was like that. You know that clip of Chuck Congo and Pat Berry? Like the wildest comeback ever? That's what it felt like Chris Barnett and Jake Collier looked like Chris was hurt. Jake is too big. Chris rallies back. You think he's going to crack him on the feet? Follows Jake down. Gets the finish, does the flip, double fists the beers. I mean, that was just all around. Now, see, that's just fun. And look, I mean, was he struggling? Was he struggling in his last fight? Yes, but that's another one of those guys. You kind of... It's like when I talk about Michael Venom Page. I know there's other grapplers out there who probably, you know, let's be honest, could really give him problems. But when you have a guy like that, you kind of just want to watch them strike. You kind of just hope they keep matching them up with strikers. That's what I want for Chris Barnett, because that was a lot of fun. What about you? Yeah, I said, why derail that fun train? Um, You know, let him entertain us. Let him build his resume. (laughs) The athleticism, the acrobatics, acrobatics. It's like, it's hilarious and exciting, but you're also just like, oh, Please don't break anything. You know, it's like how I felt when Johnny, I know we'll, we'll get to it, but we'll, I'll save it. I know Johnny Walker, when he busted his shoulder. Oh, yeah. And he goes for the worm again. <laughs> oh, my God. But it's like that where you're just like, oh, don't hurt yourself. Anyway. It's like when Derek Lewis takes flight, like, bro, your hamstrings. I know. Like, I know your quads are fine, you're a big dude, but, like, his calves don't look the biggest for a guy his size. It scares me when he takes flight. I know. (laughs) Um, Chris Barnett just, like, a little, he's like a little square, and so when you see him really take flight, it's something. Um, Look, uh, I heard he's doing better, so that's good. Uh... Johnny Walker did very good for Johnny Walker. Showed off his grappling. Uh, that one, I think people were ready to watch them just bang in the center and one one goes down. That was a straight up just beautiful fight for Johnny Walker. Much needed to really get one emphatically in the win column. I believe that was his first fight back with full house of fans. So just good for him. Just And once again, when Johnny Walker's doing the worm, you know he had a good night and... He did the worm after the fight. He did, and I'm a, I'm glad that he didn't drop from a standing position. He he lowered himself. Oh, that man! Let me tell you something. He probably doesn't even do that when he has his bed in front of him and he's tired. <laughs> like when he's done a lot of THC in Thailand and he's oh just ready gosh. to fall down. <laughs> That's uh, bananas, by the way. But you know, go watch that clip. Cage Side Press on Twitter. Uh, 
find it on our media, the Johnny Walker story of his trip in Thailand. I mean, psychedelic trip, it's something. <laughs> um, okay, so let's get into the drama. So, okay. So Thursday, all of this plays out. And the quick cliff notes. How, okay, I know there's conflicting stuff. I feel like more people are, are saying, and I'm going to go with it, Hamzat was the one to initiate stuff with Holland. And I guess it was the, over the whole, Hamzat ain't a gangster. He acts gangster in front of the cameras. But when he's with us, he's fist bumping and he's chill. And Hamzat, I guess, kind of was like, well, come on, man, I'm gangster. Hamzat has like 30 people. I don't know how many people Kevin Holland did had, but I know it wasn't what Hamzat and Nate did. Anyway, Hamzat pushes around Kevin. There's a little, you know, chatty chatty. Uh, that gets broken up. But one of the things is Tiki Gosen, who uh, he wasn't representing a guy directly. Like he's their go-to manager, but he's around former fighter. And he's kind of like, hey, Hamzat, chill, chill. Nate Diaz sees this, takes issue with it. Someone on Nate's team, I, I feel like someone threw out Nick Maximov. I can't remember if that's actually been confirmed. Someone throws a bottle at Tiki. That causes more unrest. And obviously the Nate, the Diaz crew and the Chimaev crew, obviously you don't want them too close to each other. You now have the Holland element. Tony Ferguson says he's throwing the baseball in the back with Daniel Rodriguez. And essentially, look, we've seen Embedded Episode 5. There wasn't any blood. There wasn't any carnage. But essentially what Dana White said was that I did not feel like we had enough security and could keep everybody safe with the Diaz crew, the Hamzat crew, and the Holland crew. And everybody just is so riled up. They said, I don't think we have the manpower to actually... Uh, manage this many bodies already irritated. And that's why they canceled the presser. Come Friday morning, we look outside the apex window. Kevin Holland is on a very agitated phone call. Clearly something's up at 8.10 a.m. Ariel Hawani starts tweeting. Everyone kind of confirms it. Clearly we know it's Hamza Chumayev. Kevin Holland, and I said this, even if Daniel Rodriguez was off weight, Kevin Holland would probably say, well, just give me somebody next week. And they would have done it. So I think everyone knew it was Hamzat. But then you get this, I don't know, what is it, like six, seven hours from 8 a.m. to about 3 o'clock when they announce it. What are they going to do? Are they going to get everybody paid? Is the leech going to be able to fight a guy like D-Rod if they do adjust it? And it is Nate and Tony and Hamzat Holland. Will Holland get the money he's saying he wants? Who's the main event? Is it Hamzat? Is it Nate? Could they still finish a deal for Nate and Hamzat? It just becomes this wild thing. And before we talk about the aftermath, I'm going to toss it to you. What was it like to experience that on your end? It was so bizarre, starting with the press conference. Like, I don't always get a chance to watch them live. But I did, and I was like, oh, great. You know, I thought it had already started, but it hasn't yet. Okay. And then Kevin Holland and... Uh, um, D-Rod come out and then you ask a question I was like oh great <laughs> double G's in there and then that dude comes out and he tells Dana White blue bitty blah blue and the whole thing gets cancelled and Tony Ferguson comes out I was just very confused I was like texting you and I was like I probably should leave him alone 
he's working but no no you were fine i was actually just waiting at that time so you were good i was was like what's happening (laughs) um and so then it just keeps getting crazier and crazier right We, we all know what went down but everyone's you know the mac life guys start talking to darren till they have they put their interview out then you know everyone else is putting out their account helwani does his and and so the picture starts getting painted more clearly. So you're like, okay, that was that was silly, but oh well. You know, think about Conor McGregor getting into it with Tyron Woodley. I don't remember which which card that was, but like, you know, he was picking fights with people he wasn't gonna actually fight against. Yes. Too. And so it's like, well, okay, this this stuff happens. But the 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 kicker for me was the 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 weigh-in day. That was when things are just like you. How I mean to miss by that much like that is very rare, right? To miss by such an exorbitant amount, and when that happens, MMA community will rip you apart, and it doesn't matter who you are, <laughs> as we saw, even the golden boy, the current golden boy, comes up. Um, what was the? How was the news spreading on your end? Like wildfire? We, I mean, you were there, I guess, right? <laughs> Presumably, you were in the room when all that went down. What was the? Uh, how many jaws were dropping when he stood on the scale? You know, we all knew he was going to be off. We all knew. I mean, uh, Kevin Holland wouldn't have been that agitated if it was yeah, just yeah. a rumor. That's crazy that you had that inside. Uh... <laughs> oh yeah, like fifteen feet away on a phone call. Clearly, it's like clearly sums up, and it's like. Like I said, if it was a D-Rod thing, we know Holland would have been chill. Like, just give me someone next week. It's good. And of course, so it's like, it has to be Hamzat. It This is not a rumor. This is true. Now, um, with that, it kind of just goes to this, like, I think two things. I think Dana was in a corner. Because the way he painted the picture, and I get it, he's trying to keep things under... He's not trying to encourage this, but at the same time, he's he's been promoting a long time. We're all expecting one of those scenes from, like, Locked Up, where they show the inmates rioting in the prison. It, you've seen the footage by now, guys. It's It was nothing like yeah. that. I asked no, multiple people before the clips came out, was there blood? No. What were we, what, what were we concerned yeah. about, you know? Was there a dolly? Did anybody <laughs> throw a dolly? No. <laughs> That was a fun week, too. <laughs> but anyway, um, so, you know, I think to me it was just like his, uh, his once again, his attitude. And I heard the coach say it. And this goes back to Hamzad is that we've seen him one for make 85 one week later, make 170. He's made 170 multiple times since he came back from being sick with COVID and everything. And I do. I did see the comments from the coach that he has struggled a bit with his health and he has struggled. He was struggling last week, vomiting and shaking. And once again, if it's just like, I'm not going to be made to feel guilty when the doctor was the one that said it. I don't know. He said 4 a.m. was when they told him to stop cutting. Uh, yeah. You have five hours till uh, technically seven. If you're going to the limit at 11 o'clock local time. So to me, you put all this together and it really just, we knew he was going to miss. It was more the reaction because it was like, he flips the bird and it was almost like, I mean, man, it's like, it's not like we gave you food the night before that made you off weight. Like, what? why yeah. are you mad at us? Nobody force fed you a Shake Shack. Yeah. And, you know, I, I've seen that. I have, 
the, he was at a restaurant. I heard he was eating dinner. I don't know if this is normal for him to try to cut that much. If it, I didn't see his plate myself. Could it have been a really small portion to get himself through the night? Maybe. That's not impossible. But the fact is, it, there's just so much around him. He's the he, like I said, he's made 170 plenty of times since he's been back. He's yeah. done it one week notice after being at 85. So the idea that we now have a lack of faith in him making 70, I'm not going to lie. It feels very different. And then in terms of the big picture, I think the one thing about the title Eliminator is that this works with the timeline for Usman and Edwards. Even if you were going to give him the next shot, now it feels less certain that he'll get it in time. Now it's kind of like, dude, you're not going to wait eight, eight, nine months. Fight a Colby, fight Bilal or Brady, and let's just call it macaroni. Now, people are throwing out middleweight all of a sudden. Him, Paulo Costa, he beats Costa. He fights the winner of Adesanya Pereira. I don't know. That all feels like they won't be on the right timetable either. Especially since I think Costa broke his hand following the Rockhold fight a month ago. But the fact is, it's like, this now just leaves it with a weird taste in our mouth. Now, I want to ask you. We, there was a lot of talk about the card as it was, one, pre-Tony and D-Rod being added, and now there was the deck shuffle. In the end, did you feel like you got more value for watching as a fan if you paid a ticket or bought the pay-per-view than you did third Friday morning before they made all the changes? No, I didn't, because the lack of preparation showed in the cage for everybody except for Kamzat of course, of course. Um, but you know he had um, and well I don't know what advantage he had except for the one he already came in with his wrestling advantage um, but no I didn't I think it would have been no I didn't want to see the leash you know beat up Tony Ferguson I didn't want to see Hamzat ragdoll Nate the way he did Kevin Holland but I think the fights would have been more exciting. And so even though Tony Ferguson and and Nate Diaz put on a, a fine fight, it wasn't even what I thought it was going to be when they announced the, the new lineup. I was like, oh, man, these guys, the legends, are coming together to fight. But, like, they didn't bring it the way you wanted them to. They did their best, and that's to be – that's just that's just fair. So, no, I didn't really feel like I got my money's worth. Um, I would have rather it stayed the way it was supposed to. Yeah, to me, it just... Okay, I like the fights on paper. Hamza, Holland, okay, cool. Nate, Tony, honestly, it's great on paper. But to me, I felt like what we were sold since... When did they announce this? About it's September, June, July? I feel like it was before we got to International Fight Week. We knew about this one, right? Something like that. Um, and you know, we were just sold something completely different. And now this wasn't a matter of, oh, they added a fight like late in the game. This was really unprecedented in the sense that we got all the people they told us, but they were in completely different fights. On Friday morning, (laughs) Nate Diaz was expected to get destroyed. And instead he showed out. Hamza, you know, Kevin Holland was expected to be in a close one and a fun one. 
he essentially got turned into the sacrificial lamb in gram- grappling. And yeah, then yeah. D-Rod and Leech, that kind of just... That one almost you feel like you would have been better served just taking them off the card and giving them a full camp to see what they could bring to each other, right? It just became such a odd card. And look, like I said, if you really love Nate Diaz and you got... You just want to see him do whatever and you just happened to see him fight Tony and it was great and you loved it, I'm glad. But to me, I think as a fan who like invested the time had plans for the pay-per-view or if i went to vegas and got the ticket i felt like i would have been so completely different and while i did appreciate the show going on once again from ufc for all involved i can't say that i was like oh man like it ended up being great i felt like all of these fights would have been much better served if everyone got more time to prep and once again, I feel like if you expect us to pay top dollar as the fan, I kind of want everybody to put their best foot forward with pre- prepping like it, yeah. you know, so I get what I paid for. And I think that's what my gripe comes to about it. Like, I think of it that way. Once again, if you just you, you're OK with the fun carnage for the price of admission, then you know what? Stop listening to me. I, I get that. I respect that. Just be straight up with it. But. For me, I felt like uh, this did not turn out the way it could have been so much better with more time. And instead, it felt like a few things ended up shuffling the whole deck. Well, yeah, Hamzat ruined the whole card. Why wasn't Dana White pissed at him? Like, he's never held back when a fighter does something that he's, you know, mad about. He'll he'll put them, throw them under the bus. It so feels... fast. And then, you know, think about Amanda Nunes, right? In the early days. I can't remember what happened. She failed She'll a never wait main event again and all that, right? Yeah. Right. And so, but for Hamzad, he was just like, he, I mean, he really didn't address it. It was just like, yeah, this happened. And, you know, his spin was, oh, this is what we do. You know, we did it during COVID. We're so good at making things happen. Uh, you know, the leech is a stud, uh, J-Rod's a stud, these guys just stepped up, but he's not like, but, you know, this shouldn't have happened, if you're perfect, like, you know, the, the way we're talking, if you're a professional, you make weight, never, I didn't hear it, did you hear it? And uh, he kind of just stood by it, that it was, you know, not on him, really. Yeah. And, and look, uh, once again, I feel, only he knows how he feels about it all, you know, after the fact, but it didn't look good. And it left, I get why the fans kind of turned on that a bit, because maybe they felt a bit of what I was saying. It's like, well, this is now completely different because of you. And it's like, yep. oh, well, it is what it is. Um, I want a quick one. Uh, where does this rank in all time craziest fight weeks ever? And I'm going to give you my list to kind of cheat and help you a bit because I'm springing it on you. Okay, so I would have to say number one, still that first uh, COVID fight week. Like everything, like suddenly it's all social distanced and you see all of this, the planes, the quarantines, the masks. It was a wild time. If you live through it, you, you know, ask anyone, they'll tell you. So just that by itself was a lot. Um, so I I give it that just for like the because of the historical context alone. Yeah. Uh, the UFC I forget it is it one nine I don't think it's one ninety six I can't remember but uh, Brooklyn 
uh, Habib on Sunday is set to fight Tony Ferguson. <laughs> By Monday, he's fighting Max Holloway. By Friday, he's fighting Ally Akinta. And by yeah. the way, during the week, Conor McGregor throws a dolly, takes like two fighters off the card. Yeah. <laughs> That's number three. Uh, no, or sorry, number two. Just because uh, the the magnitude of those fights in particular yeah. and the names involved at the time. Um, number three, I'll give to this one. Number four, UFC 200, just because of the John Jones thing in the yeah. middle of the week. Like you get the the crying the teary press conference and you get anderson silva out of nowhere and by the way people forget they had like three fight cards they had a fight card thursday friday saturday yeah it was ridiculous so that fight week uh, put at number four i mean there's a lot nate diaz connor number one final fight week just because i have to throw one out there nate diaz two weeks earlier not there last week you suddenly have the clash of the personalities and it culminated in a great fight an epic upset so but yeah i top three easily just you i just couldn't believe what was happening and then there was almost so many weight misses the girl featherweights almost miss weight you're nervous because norma has and then irena aldana by the way aldana was on track to make Bantam weight. I know she's missed weight before, but I want that to be out there. Aldana was on track. Macy was the one that was off. Um, all of this was just such a wild week. And I'll toss it to you. Where do you put this one all time? Well, yeah, it's got to be up there in a top five, which for me, uh, just off the top of my head and also with the help of your <laughs> of your handy list, for me, number one is the Connor Dolly, Khabib, Holloway, Iaquinta debacle. Um, then UFC 200. I would put this one a little bit lower just because it would still be in the five, maybe maybe four or five. I'm not sure what three or, or you know the other number is yet, but I don't want to give this the spot right after UFC 200 just yet. Um, I think I'd rather give it to Nate beating Connor. Was that the press conference where the water bottles and the cans No, that was the thrown? rematch. That was the rematch, okay. Because that was crazy. <laughs> that was You know, let's too. throw Fight Island Fight Week on that list anyway, too. That was kind of wild, too. Yeah, Fight everyone Island. Thought, everyone thought they were going to an island. Guys, I've been there. It's just a beach. A oh, real that looks hey, so funny, dude. Hey, it's a five-star beach. It's the it's one of the nicest beach vacations, beach resorts you could go to on planet Earth, but it was just a beach. It wasn't a Jurassic Park deserted island. I know they did such a good job. Of, well, Dana White's like, we're we're gonna be on an island. It's like, okay, Gilligan's Island was an island. <laughs> this is not that Tre- Treasure Island, Fantasy Island, no, <laughs> none, none of that. None of that. Uh, but yeah, so anyway, that's my top three. And, and I'll put this one in there somewhere, uh, four or five. But um, I don't know. It was just a beach. It was a <laughs> anyway. It was man-made. I mean, it's man-made. That's even worse. Let me tell you something. When I tell you it's the nicest vacation. <laughs> It was sure. it was the most uh, let me tell you some the mixed emotions it's like it was so stressful because you're working but then it's so nice because it's like five star everything like I like how they had that octagon outside but it was like too hot no one could use it except to take a picture bruh 
dude. The beach, the water was so warm. Let me tell you, it was I'm great. Sure. <laughs> anyway, um, before I reminisce too much about yeah. Abu Dhabi, uh, look back to the middleweight division. Um, uh, Drakus Duplessis, who fighting Hamzat's, is fighting Hamzat's BFF Darren Till. You know what? Uh, I like it stylistically. This is not an easy fight for Darren. And it makes me worried that they feel like, you know what? If Darren loses, it's fine. We got this guy named Patty Pimblett to carry the torch. And we got <laughs> Leon Edwards. I'm like, bro, they didn't, they are not doing Darren any favors coming off a layoff. So yeah, what not. are your thoughts on this one? They're not. And like seeing him there all week, I don't know. There's something in the air. And for me, it's just like, is this? Like, how do I, I don't know how to explain it, but it just seemed like he wasn't going to get back to the position where he was before the Masvidal fight. Like, I just couldn't see him getting back there as I'm watching him interact with Kamzad and, and you know, be there as his, as his pal. And I don't know. There's just something in his, in his eyes and his demeanor that he just doesn't seem like a killer anymore, even though he still talks like it. So good luck. You know, I, I don't. I like him as a fighter and I keep wanting to see him be great, but it's just, it's just been a bad couple of years. It just feels like he's had those struggles, right? And I know Dracus is, look, I mean, there's a lot of hype on, you know, what, re, until recently, three, now two African champions um, about going to USC Africa. He's from South Africa. People, I think, sleep on that. He wants to be a part of it. And, He's made noise in like promotions like KSW. Um, for Darren, yeah, it just is like, if it's not the injuries, it's like he runs into guys who are, you know, Marvin Vittori. I mean, last last couple of years, he's kind of been right there, top three middleweight, right? Uh, Robert Whitaker, Derek Brunson was on a roll. You know, it, it's been tough. And um, I just realized he didn't fight Marvin, but he was matched up with Marvin. But yeah, it was Whitaker and it was Brunson, right? So um, it, it's just, you know, it, it's a tough one. I will say, I, I, I listened to Michael Bisping and I'm aware they got that UK, like, I think Bisping wants to see Darren do well. He wants to see someone take that torch for the UK, right? And, um, yeah, uh, you know, Leon Edwards has been such a chill guy and... Like I said, I don't know why it just clicks more with Darren than Leon. It could just be the outspokenness, but, you know, I, I just feel that. But I do feel like Darren, if he's not doing Smash Bros stuff, he does still tend to be more like, hey, just like I'm about my training all the time. I feel like that's a good sign. But of course, once again, we need to see him deliver. And so that's why this is a good fight with Dracus in terms of this is a tough guy that if you beat him, this is kind of the opponent you need to get a win over if you're going to return to the position that we're talking about. Then for Dracus, this is a great opportunity to get yourself on the map a bit. So it's a good fight overall for the last pay-per-view, it looks like, of 2022. On December 10th, there it is. Yeah. Um, before it gets too late in the show, let's go ahead and talk about it. This Saturday, UFC Vegas 60. The big 6-0 at the apex. And we're bringing the Bantamweights, Corey Sanhagen, first fight since fighting Peter Yan last year, taking on Song Yudong, one of the top prospects in the Bantamweight division, a guy who's been on a roll and, 
you know, you kind of feel like this is his do or die breakout moment, right? If he's going to join the the Chito Veras, the Marabs, and the Sean O'Malley's and be part of it. It feels like this is the fight he needs to win. Corey Sanhagen, he wants to show he still belongs in that conversation with those guys. Offensively, obviously the beautiful technical striking Corey. Long, rangy, well-rounded, knows how to use his different weapons. Song, uh, that physicality. Also, you know, well-rounded, but I think more it's just about... um. He's more short and compact, so goes for shorter combinations, uh, looking to get on top of you and use that grappling, not necessarily get into these long exchanges and looking for submissions, but really rather put the hurt on you and if you and, and look for opportunities where the limbs will be there as opposed to rolling and transitioning. So it makes for a very interesting fight, I think. It makes for a very fun one. Um... Obviously, Corey is favored just on his experience and performance over elite competition. Song, though, a little bit of the love from Uriah Faber. Training with guys like Josh Emmett, trying to capture that magic. What do you got? It is definitely going to be a fun fight. It's a tricky one for me to call because Corey Sanhagen is such a special fighter, especially at that height, at that weight class. It's beautiful to watch. Those long limbs, you know, he's really intelligent also. The way he moves, it's just completely unexpected for a one, from a 135er of his size. But, yeah, compact, that's the right way to describe Song Yudong. And, and he's got the punching power. Now, you know, he knocked out, was it Marlon Marais? And that's a good win, but, you know, no offense to Marlon Marais, but that's sort of, he's been a little bit on a, on a downswing, right? So... You know, so no one's fighting the best Marlon Marais these days. And so not to take anything away from the victory, but will he be able to have that kind of luck with someone that's always moving uh, the way Corey Sandhagen is, who's so elusive? I don't think so. I mean, there's always an opportunity for, you know, you, you the right fade, the right setup, landing on someone like Sandhagen. But I don't think it'll happen. I think... Sanhagen's going to be able to control the fight, keep his distance, use his his length, land punches, and then maybe do something special like he did to Frankie Edgar. So I think there's an opportunity for a spectacular finish, but I think it's going to come from Sanhagen. Um, it could come from... If it's going to come from anyone, I think it'll come from Sanhagen. How, that being said, I actually think the fight will go to decision and Sanhagen will win a unanimous decision. I agree. Um, we were talking about this recently with the Cage Side Press crew, and it kind of feels like Song's best opportunities to do damage and win the fight are early. If it goes later, you kind of feel like it's because Corey Sanhagen was able to do what he needed to and drag this into the later rounds. I'm counting on Song looking to show up for himself. I, I know that he's come from a great camp. I expect him to be well-conditioned. I just think that Corey's experience and Arsenal really just favor him in this fight. I think that he's been in there with some good guys. I think he knows how to avoid what he needs to out there against a guy like Song. Um, and I think that that's just kind of it. He's tall and long and he's a difficult guy for a lot of them to deal with. Uh, the champion included, really. So, uh, I, And I know that was a 30-second fight, but you look at the fight he had with TJ Dillashaw... This is an elite-level fighter. 
you know, short notice, the fight he had with Peter Yan. Um, I think that's just a lot. I think that stylistically, this is just a tough one for Song. Um, so yeah, I'm going, I'm with you there for Corey Sanhagen. I think that if Song doesn't chop at those legs and work that body early, really make something dramatic happen early, I think that Corey's just going to do what he does and take this to the deep waters and get it. Yeah. Yeah, so there we have it. Uh, next week, there is no UFC action, but the Bellator does come back. They are going back to Ireland. Benson Henderson against Peter Queeley and Yoel Romero taking on Melvin Manoff in what will be Manoff's last fight. Um, do you have any final thoughts as we we move on from a crazy week and on to another one? Yeah, not really. Crazy week indeed. Nothing you turned out the way. You want to talk about Jake Paul's robot? Is that what it is? <laughs> yeah, how was that? I finally saw it in person. That sucker is tall, man. <laughs> is there that... a tall person in there or is it you actually know what? a robot? <laughs> it's low-key like a suit, I think. Okay. So it's like the feet are kind of on stilts and then the guy's body is sitting inside the torso. You know? So I... it's just... um. But yeah, I swear that thing is like... A small house, tall. It, it is really intimidating, that thing. That's so the only you, intimidating thing on the Jake Paul team. <laughs> let me tell you something. The, the robot is trippy in person, man. <laughs> I finally saw it. And, you know, you kind of want to see it with your own eyes. And I'm like, dang, that's the robot. I wonder anyway. how much it cost. <laughs> he can afford it, sure. I know, I know. What about Silva? I saw. I didn't. I haven't watched the footage, but he was was Chael Sonnen was there. They were like Bro, they hamming were BF, it up. BFFing. I do. I gotta say, it's like watching the two dads like at the kids' party. It's like, <laughs> you know, like because so the whole thing. Jake and Logan took a very blurry photo when they were thirteen, fourteen. Apparently, they were seventeen. Um, with Anderson in Ohio, and they recreated it, and Chael. Chael somehow did not get the memo, and he's trying to figure out what it is. And he's saying to Anderson, Anderson, do you want me to back you up since there's two of them? And I was like, oh, ain't that something, right? (laughs) And then Anderson does the whole thing, like, nah, I'm good, bro. And then it's like, but hey, how come you never came to my barbecue? That's such a burn, dude. (laughs) Chael has said this story before, but it's Mm. like, it was very refreshing in this environment, you know. Since then, I think the sport has had a whole new wave of fans. And remember, since their fight, I feel like we've gone through both the Rousey era and the McGregor era. Yes, so yes. The fact that you have the OGs kind of talking about this moment is it was kind of cool. So Yeah, that is nice. Yeah, but anyway, good stuff. We'll be talking about that very soon, but not yet. So, Guys, thank you very much for listening. Thank you for hanging with us. Remember, like, comment, subscribe, and we'll be back next week. Take care.